Welcome to Heal. I'm your producer, Kendra Sanchez, and I'm interviewing your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall, as we wrap up yet another amazing season. As we enter the new year, Dr. Sarah Marshall leads us in a reflective conversation on completion and creation. In this season, many people create resolutions for the new year, but that's often not enough on its own. In order to truly create in our lives, we must clear room by finding completion for what has happened. The action of getting complete is to be willing to slow down and take the time and do the reflection and then really acknowledging what's happened and what hasn't happened. And that's a key part. So slowing down in the reflection and then looking at what there is to acknowledge. And we explore the question, what does completing and creating have to do with healing? That turning point in their relationship to their health is about not having their health be the the whole thing. I know my clients are really healing when they start talking about what they want to create next. I know we've done a lot of that initial work and their body's really shifting. Dr. Marshall and I discuss the intricate process of achieving completion, involving reflection, acknowledgement, and a declaration to let go of emotional burdens. There's a point in every person's healing journey where you kind of have to turn a corner and be willing to start declaring some things or creating some things, some intentions about your life that is distinct from just rinse and repeat of the past. We touch on the connection between completion and the ability to enter the realm of authentic creation, where wonder and unknown territories play a vital role. Creation is you're in unknown territory. You are in new territory. Usually it's a little shaky and a little uncomfortable. And one of the access points to getting into creation, into that world, is wonder. We're so excited you're joining us for this amazing conversation. Here's your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Well, here we are. Here we are, the end of another season. Man, isn't this crazy that like when we first started talking about Heal, I was like, yeah, let's do it for a year. And now it's been four. (laughs) I love that. I love how much has happened between then and now and how we've evolved as people and how life has changed. And yeah, we've been with each other now through not not only many seasons of the podcast, but many seasons of life. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, this tradition of episode 13 being a completion of the season, you know, talking a little bit about the episodes and also an opportunity for you to ask me questions and for me to highlight a little bit more specifically, like being a guest on my own show. And I love that. And I think that, quite frankly, I want to just give people the meat of the topic and dive in. You guys have all the episodes. You can see them. They're right there. You should go check them out. They're all awesome. And, you know, instead of going through a line by line review of the episodes we've done, you know, I'll just kind of sum it up by saying like season eight was so seamless. It moved like really easily and effortlessly. And the guests who came were incredible. We had our episode 100. That was pretty rad. Yeah, this was a big season. Definitely probably the smoothest on the production side and a wide range of topics, which was really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Season. Yeah. Touching all sorts of things. So I want to, you know, transition that right into when I was thinking about what, what to share on this episode, 
I mean, it's interesting, however this worked out, this is the first time we've ever wrapped up a season at the new year. So here we are, the start yeah. of 2024. You know, January is often a time that people start to kind of consider goals and what's next. And, you know, I go back and forth about the whole, you know, what are your New Year's resolutions? But I actually do find that this time of year is natural for me to want to reflect and create, you know, take stock and and that. And so that's what I really wanted to give some actual functional tools about how to do that in a powerful way that, you know, off of what I've been using as a business owner, but also in my own personal life. Yeah, I'm so, so excited for this conversation. I am like a big... I would I was gonna say resolutions, gal, but it's not necessarily resolutions because I don't love pigeonholing myself. But I do love, love, love this time of year for reflecting, for going into the new year with specific intentions and kind of crafting the future that I want for myself. So when you know we had emailed and discussed talking about this for this episode, I'm really, really jazzed about it and excited to hear how you approach it and especially to see the tie into how it helps with like health and healing. Yeah. Well, we should probably start there. Yeah. Great. I think that that's a great idea. So tell us, tell, I think, especially like, let's initially start with, with that tie in. What does this time of reflection and completion and creation have to do with healing? What is the point? Such a good question. Thank you for asking. We laugh because I write most of the questions and then Kendra <laughs> reads them. <laughs> but, you know, in people's healing journey, most of the time people call me and hire me in a, quite frankly, state of crisis or like pretty deep into survival where they're just like, nothing's working. I feel horrible. I don't have answers. I don't know what to do about this. You know, like most of the time that's when I get people. And that is a perfectly appropriate place to be. And when we're in crisis, what we do not have access to is is authentic, real pure creation. Like, and you shouldn't. You're just dealing with putting the pieces back together. And as we put the pieces back together, right, we start to clean up people's diets. I start to work on their sleep, their daily lifestyle habits, and then using the naturopathic medicine of homeopathy and herbalism you know, actually getting their bodies to detoxify intercellularly at a level they've never done before. And, you know, that creates a foundation. But there's a point in every person's healing journey, mine, over and over again. And and we can say healing, we can also say like your evolution in your life, where you kind of have to turn a corner and be willing to start declaring some things or creating some things, some intentions about your life that is distinct from just repeat, rinse and repeat of the past, like limited beliefs we have about ourselves and what we think is possible for ourselves. And, you know, when people deal with chronic disease in particular, there's a lot of feeling trapped inside of that diagnosis. There's a lot of like, this is how my life is going to be for the rest of my life. You know, I just have to deal with it. There can be a lot of resignation. So how do we use the methodology of transformation and coaching to help people break through some of those to take on the next level? And what I see is when they do shift their mindset and they start to work on intention setting, where it's not about being out of pain, it might now be about running 10Ks. 
And it's not about, you know, I don't feel good and I don't have enough energy. It's now about maybe I'm going to get back into painting. There's this amazing thing that happens where the body starts to also shift and heal differently that happens. So this is actually something that I use with my clients at a certain point when it's appropriate to start to introduce, like, we don't want to just focus on stopping the pain and how we feel in the bad days. We need to be focusing on what do you want out of your life? Like the question I ask my clients is why health? Why do you want health? What is it going to give you access to? So that's a creation conversation. Yeah, I feel like so many times, especially in like allopathic medicine, it's just about like symptom treatment. It's not about creating a life that you want. And I love that that's always been a part of your vernacular. I mean, we've used that on your website, like that you really can live your best life, you know, that it is about creating that. And I think it's so important to have that vision in mind because I think the way we think about our lives is creative in nature. And I don't mean creative in like an artistic way. I mean, like in that it is creating like the, the future and the vision we man it, we like sit with that we meditate on. And even, I don't mean, I don't think anyone's like sitting around intentionally meditating on like, wow, my day is going to be so hard tomorrow. I'm never going to do fun stuff with my kids. But I think the way that you passively think about things, whether you have hope or not have hope does put that energy into into your life and into your experience. And I, I think it's a conversation a lot of people feel like they can't have. Like you said, people with chronic illness are obviously, you know, focused on management and sometimes feel defeated, but what a cool conversation to be able to flip that and be able to look at things from a perspective of hope and to create that possibility in your life and makes it a lot more likely to happen. I think when you're focusing on it as a possibility, when you're creating that reality for yourself. And I think one of the pitfalls, cause like you can see all of that. That's all over social media is like, you know, positive thoughts and affirmations and gratitude journals, which I am a fan of all of the, well, actually totally, honestly, I hate gratitude journals, but I get that they work. <laughs> And and some of my own resistance to gratitude journals is the stuff I have to work on. And one of the things I want to highlight here, though, is, is this, this isn't Pollyanna, like, just be positive about your tough circumstances. Like, you know, like, no, like I was I've just been watching this comedian Tig. Oh, God, you probably know her last name, but she's this amazing comedian Tig and she went through really, 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 really tough set of circumstances where she literally had almost a life-threatening, a life-threatening illness. And then her mother died. And then she got diagnosed with bilateral breast cancer in a matter of like two months. And mm. she does a whole bit on how she has like, yeah, there's God and the angels and God never quote gives us dishes us out more than we can handle. And she's like, yeah. And so there I was getting all this dished out and the angels were like, really God? really? Are you sure that's a good idea? Like, is she going to be okay? Like, I don't know. You know, just like, <laughs> and so I get there are yeah. so many times yeah. in our life where we are just getting through what we're getting through. And that's why I love talking about this, not just conceptually, but in the practical. That's why I have the worksheet. That's why I take my clients through this process. There's a system to actually 
as much as we talk about, oh, create new intentions, that's almost always where all the focus is on. But what about completion? What does it actually mean to be complete, right? Like, you know, I'm now feeding you your questions. But is is that whole conversation gets skipped over? And then, as one of my coaches said, we're putting, you know, beautiful chocolate ganache on a pile of mud because we haven't actually cleared it and created the space for creation. Creation happens in in spaciousness. And another really great analogy, we use this around cleaning and detoxifying in our health, but it works in our lives as well, is if you're going to grow a garden and you just have ground full of weeds, you know, what is the first thing that we do is start to clear the space. Now, I know with regenerative farming, <laughs> that puts a little spin on our analogy of being able to plant into the But even still, there is a process in regenerative farming of not clearing the land like like all the way down to the soil, but actually repurposing and recreating a new canvas, some sort of a, a life-giving foundation. That's integral to any creation process. So how do we do that when our lives are already full? And that and that is the question. How do we get complete? And what does it mean to be complete? Because I imagine for not everybody, it doesn't necessarily... I'm assuming mean like that they're done with their healing journey, right? Like that you don't have to wait until you're perfectly healthy to start the space of creation. So tell us a little bit more on the insight of what it means to be complete, to reflect on completion and kind of how we get there. That's awesome. So this is actually a really big topic. And in the ontology and transformational coaching world that I have been involved in for over a decade, this is a huge you can do workshop on workshop on workshop. And there is there is kind of a lot of intellectual effort. Like you're going to have to bend your brain a little bit and be willing to let go of what you already think it is. So let me just ask you, Kendra, to kind of use you as the the person here. How would you define completion? What does being complete mean to you? Well, I mean, I, I guess I can take this in two different directions. In the concept you know, in the conversation on completing and creating, I would say that the completion portion is more about reflection, like what steps have been completed, however small or large, Yep. the parts that have been done, even if it's not a whole process, even if it's like you're right in the middle of somewhere, but you completed steps one and two. So I imagine that that's part of it, but on a bigger topic of what it means to be complete... I don't know. And I don't know what what direction maybe if you're baiting a specific one, but I feel like completion a lot of times is, is again, more about how you view yourself as uh, as a whole being, like what the, what the total of all things are, like that you're not necessarily needing anything else, looking at things from a perspective of gratitude and what I have done and what I have done being enough. So good. So there's a couple of really key things you said in that, that I'm going to pull out. One, the reflection piece, that's the action of getting complete, is to be willing to slow down and take the time and do the reflection. And then there was something in there you said about really acknowledging what's happened and what hasn't happened, and that's a key part. So slowing down in the reflection and then looking at what there is to acknowledge. What did I do? What did I not do? What did I intend to do? You know, those kinds of things. I'm going to bring in another component here because I think it starts to help understand something. I had a coach who said, 
there's no such thing as completion in language. It only happens in the physical universe, like like a table. A table that's supposed to have four legs and only has three is incomplete. It's not going to work as well. And what does it take to complete the table, as in have it in fully optimal working condition? And we used to do exercises in the coaching program that I was involved in where we would bring things to completion by making sure that it was up to date, in use, and usable. So basically maximizing the utility of something. So then this is where the brain bender comes in. How do we get our lives up to date in use and usable? Like what does that mean at more of a non-tangible level? And then there's also a point where you can do a lot of the reflection and a lot of the work. And then there's just a declaration to be made that that is complete. I am not going to drag that upset into my future anymore. I'm not going to continue to hold on to that resentment. I'm letting it go. I'm bringing forgiveness. I'm stepping into a place of acceptance. But the other thing you said is like, where you know yourself as not needing anything else. And that's really great because in completion, it's like nothing is needed. It's whole and complete exactly the way it is. Now, if we really look, for me, I'll look at my life, I'm never actually going to be fully complete. I mean, maybe that's what happened when we die. I don't know. Maybe when we die, we just move on to the next thing. Like maybe that's never a thing. So it's, can we hold on to this with a bit of conceptual understanding and then try and bring it into our actual lived lives in that way of I'm going to strive for this knowing I'm never going to get there, but the getting there and the working on it makes a difference in my life. So when we look at completion, there's lots of layers and that's where like we could go deep, deep, deep into this. But there's an experience that I think most people can relate to where let's say there was a relationship, like for me, my divorce. And I went through many, 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 many different phases of getting myself to a point of acceptance, forgiveness, peace, harmony, which are what I use as my my measures, my indicators of a level of completion at an emotional level of that I got divorced, that I got married in the first place at all, you know, should I have ever married him? Then I did marry him. Should I have ever divorced him? Then I did divorce him. And like all the work I kind of had to do around that to the point where now one of my metrics of knowing that I'm complete with something emotional, there's no hook, there's no grab. I can freely talk about it. I cannot talk about it. I don't need to tell everybody about it all the time. Like if you hang out with your your people in your life, you can often tell what they're incomplete about because they bring it up over and over and over and over. And you're like, oh, there's some work to do there. It's like those repetitive thoughts. And so in in the coaching world that I was in, we would talk about disappearance, that when something truly was complete, it disappeared. Now, it's not like I don't know that I got a divorce, but all the story, the narrative, all the crap I used to drag around about it is pretty much gone for me. And that's like these layers of completion. So, you know, we're not going to necessarily get there about all of it. But if you can imagine in people's health journey, they've got the same thing. The time they got diagnosed, all the things the medical professionals have said to them, all the things the medical professionals have not said to them, the opportunities they were given, not given, the way their family responded to it, the way that, you know, regrets they have about themselves. Like there's 
there's all of these components that we have a tendency to just carry around with us in our, you know, proverbial backpack that we're not ever putting the backpack down and emptying it. And that's what this process is about. So like, that's about as much as I can say without going into, you know, but it's a big topic, but those are some places to start to try on, you know, what might it look like? And just being in the inquiry, what would it be like? What would it take for me to actually be complete, to be free around fill in the blank said topic? And for many people, it can be their health, but it also can be about financial decisions, relationships they've had, you know, going to school, not going to school, all kinds of things. Well, that seems like a good middle space between completing and creating, because sometimes maybe like the creating is, like you said, imagining the completing. Like sometimes you just have to start there. You have to you have to think about like the ways that you can can get and to achieve that place of completion so that like you said you have the space to create because you know kind of as you mentioned living from survival they don't have access to creation so you know is do you have any practical tips on like the how besides i mean you mentioned like sometimes maybe it's just being in a place of inquiry but what are some of the things you would walk people through to kind of move from that stage of completion into a space of creation? Awesome. Well, the first thing we got to do is we got to start to like take an inventory of what is incomplete. And this is where it's a little tricky because, you know, and I'm going to kind of speak about this without being an expert on the subject, but human beings are linguistic beings. We we our lives pretty much entirely come out of language. If you look at every object around you, there was a point where that object didn't exist and it was a thought in somebody's head and they turned that thought into a sentence and that sentence eventually allowed there to be actions and those actions created the object. And you could literally start to take apart that everything in our lives, everything is a linguistic phenomenon. And the way that we even talk about the things in our lives, this is where it gets really interesting, can actually shape, like, as long as you continue to talk about, you know, a person in your life as being difficult, they're going to keep showing up as difficult. And as soon as you can shift your language around it and create some opening, that person can actually change. That's like a whole nother level. So there is an element of we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about the narratives we have and what feels incomplete. And there's probably a Venn diagram out there about the interplay between trauma work and ontology and like these different areas of studying. And, and just to bring it up, ontology is the study of being, being a human being. What is it to be a human being? And there's a lot of work around language, the words we choose, and the importance of that in ontology. So when we start to get into how do we get complete when we're incomplete, the first thing to do is start to take stock. And I'm going to actually encourage people in this case, we're going to focus on the things you can see in the physical world versus a lot of our narrative and story. There's a little bit of blending of that because the narrative holds emotional charge, but it's less important your story about it. It's more important about the physical things in the world, which is also when we look, 
you know, I could say I'm incomplete about my divorce, but when I actually look, what's what's missing is that I'm not married to a person. I don't have a partner. That's real in the physical world. And then there's a story I have about myself and my ex-husband or whatever, which I said, you know, I've done a lot of work on. But when we look behind most of the narratives, there actually are physical things like the narrative exists almost in the place of the thing we either aren't experiencing or don't have. So this is again where it slow down and do the thinking. So the very first question I ask people is to just acknowledge what the, like let's say we're doing it for a year, right? Because this is a good time of year for us to look. 2023, I list the past year's events and accomplishments. Just start there. What happened? What actually even happened? Because that's the other thing is we have a tendency to always focus on the gap, what we didn't do. You know, I said I was going to run 26.2 miles in the marathon and I ran 24. And all we talk about is the 2.6 miles we didn't run and we don't acknowledge the 24 that we did. So a big part of being complete that gets overlooked is what did you do? Because while you weren't doing whatever you're worried about that you weren't doing, you were doing something raising your children, for instance, you know, oh, I didn't triple my business this year, but what did you do? Right. You know, there's, there's so much that we tend to go to step over. So that's a huge part. And it's like looking at all the different areas of your life, you know, what did you do financially? What did you do in your family? What did you do in terms of community or making a difference in people's lives? And again, that takes some also slowing down and getting creative How do we acknowledge that? How do we measure that? When I was involved in Landmarks coaching programs, one of the things I would track is how many people did I talk to that the outcome was they registered into one of Landmarks courses because that was one of the metrics I got to track of the difference I was making in the world. When I first started doing this and I got to this question, I noticed a theme. Mostly what I wrote down about my past year's accomplishments was how much money did I make. And I wouldn't have even said that money was one of my main values, but it was showing up in this document was like, I wasn't focused on anything else about my life other than my business. And then my business boiled down to one thing. And it was like, wow, okay, that's not accurate. (laughs) So some of this is going to be like to get complete, to create that foundation for creation, we have to be willing to start to look at some aspects of our lives and about ourselves that maybe we overlook. So I actually review my calendar because for me, most of what happens in my life is reflected on my calendar. So I look at how many days did I travel? How many days did I you know, hang out with my family? And I think that numbers and, and reality is really important. We tend to tell stories that are not reflective of reality. Well, I barely saw my family this year. I, I, you know, I didn't get to this thing again, focusing on what we didn't do versus what we did. And yeah, it's kind of tedious, but I can actually go through my calendar and count like how many days off did I take? How many days did I spend with my family? How many days did I spend traveling? It's, it's just a way to look at it. Well, and I feel like sometimes people look at money as the only signifier of success in a business, but wouldn't fun way to like reframe success. Like how many, you know, I made this much money and I got to travel this much or I, um, or look, I think one of the other things in our conversation about this was like how many 
people did you impact? Like how many Mm -hmm. clients did you see? How many people's lives are changed? And I think that there are so many measures of success. How many days were, you know, did I go to bed happy? Not that that's something you can look on your calendar because unless you calendar that. But that could be a creation for next year. But it could be, it could be. How do I track Um, happiness? And I'm going to do that in 2024. Well, and even if you feel like I went to bed happy more days than not last year, then that's a success. Like if even, you know, there's so many other markers of success outside of simply financial success that let's say for somebody, it's not their biggest financial year, but maybe because business was slower, they had more time with their children or they were able to travel more. And that was a trade-off, you know? So I think, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about like all of the different ways we can take stock of what has occurred in the year. Yep. Because I think there's a lot that people don't, you know, don't necessarily think about and not to like make it about me, but like an applicable thing. It's like, I do look a lot at like, okay, how much money did I make this year versus looking at like, oh, how many businesses did I help launch this year? You know, like as a brand designer and a website designer, it's like, I launched, I helped several businesses launch this year. And like, that's a much more exciting metric to look at than necessarily like, did my bills get paid, you know? And in your case, I'd even go like, if you could get this information from your clients asking them like how many customers did they serve so by you launching their brand there's actually a metric even further beyond that that you can start to get in touch with right like like the podcast is a really interesting one for me because people ask me all the time like what are your listenership you know and podcast statistics are kind of a bitch because <laughs> there's like yeah, so many different consistent. ways to look at and then it's different for different platforms and like you know, we're hanging out somewhere in the multiple thousands of people's lives touched, right? Not in the tens and hundreds of thousands, but but definitely in the thousands. And and then I think about the feedback that I get that people will tell me, I've been listening to your podcast and I went and hired a therapist because of it. I've been listening to your podcast and I I got a personal trainer. Been listening to your podcast and I decided to take on a microdosing regimen, right? Like like th- there are well, these- never mind the number of people that they're like, I listened to this podcast and I learned this really cool thing in the podcast, and now they've shared that tidbit with somebody else. Right, exactly. And, and then that's cool. Have- that person probably goes home and tells their partner, and it's like, oh my gosh, my friend at work mentioned this thing today that she heard. You know, it's yeah. Sometimes it's hard to measure. I think the impact that our work and has. that's where the inquiry is really important is just being yep. willing to do the the wondering, and and in the world of creation, which we're kind of like jumping back and forth there's some key distinctions in creation and how you know you're in pure authentic creation which i said that before there's dis- is distinct from like what we often do is just repeat the past and we kind of call it but if it, one of the ways my coach my coach audra who she's been on the on the podcast several times and i still work with her we talk every single week and we have for like i don't know 5 or 6 years now whenever i'm like i don't know what to do and i'm usually really frustrated and i'm like I don't know what's next. I don't see anything. And she always laughs at me and celebrates. And she's like, Sarah, that's awesome that you don't know. It means you're now in the world of creation because creation is unknown. (laughs) If you're in very familiar territory and there's nothing wrong, like I'm a big routine fan, like routines help our brains. Routines are good for us. They, our adrenals are very happy about routine because they don't have to think and figure stuff out and you don't have to waste a lot of energy, but that's not creation. 
Creation is you're in unknown territory. You are in new territory. Usually it's a little shaky and a little uncomfortable. And one of the access points to getting into creation, into that world, is wonder. Wondering how many people's lives did you touch. Wondering about how something may have ended up going out into the world in a way of goodness, you know? So, you know, there's just that whole action of wonder is a great way to get to creation. And I just, since we've been talking about it, I think I got this from Tim Ferriss in the four-hour work week, which was like 20 years ago that he wrote that book or more. He talked about wealth as actually being the summation of three different factors, Money being one of them, like actual physical amount of money or, you know, cash or investments that you have, but mobility and flexibility were also a part of it. So how much mobility do you have in terms of like you literally, are you tied to a particular desk, a particular location, or can you get up and move around? You have autonomy in where you're going to be in life. And then flexibility had a lot to do with time. How much time flexibility do you have? Like, do you have to be at work at eight and then done at six? Or do you have a lot of flexibility in when you get your work done? And that's been something I've really held on to in my own conversations of success is I have an incredibly high level of mobility and flexibility. And typically what we see is there's a relationship between the three. You could make a lot more money numerically, and it almost always costs us mobility or flexibility. Yep, like you have to yep. give up on the other two. And so if you actually look at wealth and what it is to have the experience of this abundant full life, you know, and I think this is becoming more popular, more and more people are choosing to work 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week and give up some on the physical cash side of things. But what they're gaining in mobility and flexibility gives them a lot more the life they want to live. Well, and it's a really good perspective I think the exercise is not to compare yourself to other people, but I think the temptation is always there. And I think looking at wealth as three different factors rather than the take-home paycheck as the only factor, it gives uh, more opportunities for reflection. And I think about that sometimes because I have people in my life who have really high netting careers. And I wouldn't necessarily say I'm in like a super high netting career. We're not, we, we like do fine, right? But we're not super financially wealthy, but boy, do I have a lot of wealth in the areas of mobility and flexibility. You know, I, I work for a company that allows me to have like unlimited PTO and that gives you the opportunity to take on other clients and increase the maybe potential financial impact at that time. And I can work completely remotely. And so it's really kind of cool to look at like, yes, I probably could work, like make more money, but I absolutely would have to sacrifice the flexibility in my schedule and physical location that to me at this point have become maybe more valuable than like the yeah. increase that I could and have that in my whole conversation of autonomy, right? Like that I have choice and sovereignty over the creation of my time, my day, my life, you know, this is huge. And we actually have statistics that show the more empowerment and autonomy somebody experiences, usually in their careers where we measure it, the healthier their immune system. Like literally autonomy creates a stronger immune system, that we have sovereignty, that we have choice, that we feel like we're at the source of how our life is going. And we did a whole podcast on this with not on the immunity so much, but on the business side with Jeff Wilmore, I think two seasons ago. 
and, you know, went into the whole conversation of autonomy and the importance of that in that wealth triangle. And, you know, this is, this is, this has come up before. So, so as we're going through the actual mechanism of completion, that's the first place to start is taking stock. Like actually what happened? And then, you know, as I take people through the process, there's a couple ways to look at, you know, what happened and just alter the way our narrative typically goes, like to, to again, allow yourself to sort of see it differently. One of the things I have people look at is what did you say you were going to do and you did not do? This is distinct from what did you think about doing? These are like the actual things you you promised somebody, you declared it, you like actually started to put reality around it and then didn't do because that's got a kind of heavier weight. There's a lot of stuff we think about. Well, I meant to clean out the closet. I was going to reorganize these things. I, you know, but was it really in the world of I declared it, I promised people, I was talking about it. There's something where when we look at like humans as linguistic beings, thoughts are powerful for sure, but then there's like more mass and weight to it once it comes out of our mouth as something spoken. Then you can go even further into once it's a promise, now it's like super solid. And just for giggles here is a little tidbit about promises. The difference between a promise and an intention is a promise exists in time and space. So you've actually said, I'm going to do X by Y time. So I'm going to make this amount of money in this, you know, 30 days, or I'm going to like last year, I actually took on a goal to walk a thousand miles in 2023. And I did that. I actually don't have the exact number, but I know I'm over like 1100. And I worked out the math that that was an average of three miles a day and 21 miles a week. And I tracked it all year and I kept up on it. And I, you know, used a, a pedometer Fitbit um, metric tracker um, and then was able to say, I did 1100 miles in 12 months. That's where it becomes a promise. And one of the things that messes people in relationship all the time is we say things that are actually not measurable. I'm going to love you forever. Now I get it. That's a powerful place to live, <laughs> but like, how do we start to break these things down into something that's a little bit more like like, what does that look like? How am I going to express? And I mean, that's a whole nother podcast. How am I going to show you I'm expressing my love to you? What does that mean? Learning about people's love languages, getting it into measurable things, you know, and somebody whose love language is quality time. That's awesome. Okay. How much time? And that seems kind of weird and remote yeah. and wrote like how many hours a week do you need to spend one-on-one -on -one with your husband to feel fulfilled in your relationship? And now this is, again, jumping into the creation part a little bit, right. but these are some places to look from. So looking at what did you actually say you were going to do and you didn't mm -hmm. do. And then I also like to get into the acknowledgement pieces, like what worked about last year? What actually worked for you? And then you can also answer what didn't work. That starts to give you ideas into what you might yep. want to do differently. But, you know, it's not just about the negative deficits. It's also the positives. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that piece of like, I mean, that that level of reflection and intention, I think, is often, especially what you were saying about having more measurable and specific goals. I feel like it's interesting because <clears throat> to, again, kind of pull things back to myself, which is really my only frame of reference, 
looking at like my goals for 2023, right? There are a couple that I didn't accomplish. Like I said that I wanted to start like some sort of work, like workout regimen, whether that was getting back into like pool dancing or finding another form of exercise class that worked well for me. It was my intention to do that. And it was my intention to like learn more Spanish. And then I had a goal to read 48 books this year. And guess which of the three I accomplished? The one that was like a concrete measurable goal. <laughs> you read 48 books this year? I read 54. I read 54 Oh my gosh, good for you. Yeah, and it's and... interesting because I measured the like thousand miles and I broke it down yep. and I knew exactly. That's cool. Yep, but I didn't start a workout regimen. I maybe was like more physically active. We got outside a lot this year, but like my goals that were not as concrete and like measurable and specific... They, there's like a term for that they use at work, like a smart yeah, goal, right? Smart That's like goals. specific, measurable, achievable, yeah, whatever. The ones that were specific were the ones that I achieved. The ones that were like gen- generic and kind of open-ended, I some, you know, I didn't get around to those. It was much less specific. So it was like, I don't know, maybe less enticing to check it off. So I think that's kind of interesting to look back and think about, especially as you're reflecting on what did work and what didn't work, that kind of ties into what you were saying just right before that of like, maybe for me, and maybe it's not the same for everybody, but maybe for me, I especially need it to be specific in order to put it on a to-do list. Because I think being like, eh, start working out, that feels like, well, I could do that at any point. You know, <laughs> that's not, there's not any real incentive to be like, oh, I better get on that. Right. But if I have an intention to read 48 books, I know in my head, I can't start that in December. It's like, I have to start that right away. Right. So that's kind of interesting. I love that idea of looking, looking back in that way. And like, and with, I, yeah, go ahead. No, go, go for <laughs> it. You know, with the, with the smart, you know, specific measurable obtainable goals, like there's a lot that's been kind of debunked around that. And they've, and, you know, we've gone back and forth between like, throw out all your goals, make all your goals measurable, don't have goals, goals are terrible. It's all about intention, right? Like, I think what's really critical here in this conversation is a lot of people create, whether it's a goal or intention, whether it's specific or it's not, they create on top of old wounds. They create on top of what's incomplete. So if you actually start to break down, we could say the reason why you maybe did achieve the books, book reading, but you didn't achieve the workouts is because it wasn't specific. That's possible. Often when we get a little bit deeper, we start to look and notice, well, there was nothing in the way for you about reading. You know yourself as a reader. You enjoy reading. Reading comes naturally to you. You love book, you know, whatever, right? But oftentimes, especially around things like working out, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's actually psychologically and emotionally and sometimes physically in the way between us and that goal that we're not acknowledging. And we try and move through it. And it's like trying to go running in a pool where you're surrounded by water and there's all this resistance around you and you don't see the water. Mm -hmm. You don't know the water you're swimming in is another way we say that. So this work around completion helps us to start to see the water we're swimming in. You know, there's the specific questions, which I've been going back and forth about whether I was going to share about this, but I am... I'm declaring it now. Speaking of declaring, I am going to declare I'm creating a workshop around this exactly. I'm going to take people through the process and we'll actually do the work to complete last year 
and then do the work to create some new intentions for 2024 and putting that together. It's just, I've, I've shared my process with my clients a lot, but I've not actually ever offered this as a workshop before. And I just think it's so huge and it's so important because what we tend to do is we throw these goals out there and we can look at our goals and go like, do I really want this or do I feel like I should do this? You know, and how do you get yourself, what we know from psychology is when you're emotionally and you can, when you're emotionally connected to something and you see it as possible, then you almost always do those. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of both. Like there was something doable for you about reading 48 books. There was something doable for me about walking a thousand miles. I knew it would be a stretch. It was twice as many as I'd ever tracked before, but I also, it wasn't 2000 miles. If I look at 2000, I'm like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to spend two hours a day walking. I'm just not. And that's what well, it it's an take. interesting reflection on the baby steps too, because I actually was not a reader prior to 2022. Mm. Like prior to 2022, I read maybe one or two books a year. In 2022, when I moved to Ohio, my cousin invited me to join her book club and I did. And even that was kind of slow going at first, you know, we read a book a month and then somehow over the summer in 2022, I, I for some reason, just got more interested in it. I think part of it was the space I was in at the time, like nursing Ivy to bed and her getting old enough to like care if I was watching stuff on my phone, <laughs> made it a lot easier to just like read on my Kindle or read on my phone, right? Something that would keep me awake, but not distract her from going to sleep. So like the time lent itself to that. But then I ended up finding just some authors and genres I really like. So I went from being like a one to two, sometimes zero books a year reader to in 2022, I read 27. So exactly in the same way that it was like your miles, my goal was essentially to like more or less double what I had read last year. Okay. I'm going to try to do twice as much this year, but it was something I felt was achievable because I had seen, I'd started to see that existing for me in, in, you know, in the year prior, whereas, you know, to, to lay my cards out, I feel like they're, I think you're totally right. And I think you called it. And for me, it's like, I've never, you know, and I feel like maybe this is a cop out of a statement, but I've never been like a gym person. Like for me, it's intimidating. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing on any of those machines. The last time I was in a gym, I was like, I don't know, 21 and, and young and already attractive and hot and guys would bother me every time I went. I don't necessarily know that I'd be in the same boat these days. <laughs> like in my head, it was like a place where like people kind of invaded my space. I didn't know what I was doing. Everything about it felt like, like not great. Right. So then the only type of working out I ever really loved was like when I got into classes and especially like for a while, I really loved doing like pole exercise. But when I got pregnant and had a baby, I, you know, I stopped doing that. And now like my body shape's different. My muscle mass is less and it feels, it does feel, and I can acknowledge that it feels extremely intimidating to think about starting over because I only did that for like two years. And it was the only working out I've ever done that I was like sold. I guess prior to that, I was into rock climbing for a little bit too, I guess. But so I thought like, oh, maybe I should just go back to that. I really liked it, but I only did it for two years and it's been like three years since then. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I know I'm going to be starting over and it feels a lot more intimidating. So maybe this is a great point for me to think about maybe completing that season of my life first and, you know, acknowledging like where I'm at and what 
like going through exactly your steps, like what areas in this specific area have I made achievements this year? Because I have been like a lot more physically active and maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know necessarily what the right way is through it, but maybe that's where it's a good time to spend wondering and thinking on, yeah. on yeah. completing this phase. So I can have room to create and grow because, you know, and it's not necessarily that my goal is like to lose weight. If I'm being honest with you, I, it, my issue isn't necessarily about like my weight though. I have not ever lost like a single pound of baby weight, but I think it's, I can tell that I'm not as strong as I used to be like that. I get winded more easily. And as I get older too, I just don't want that to be the continuous trajectory. It's like, I feel like in my thirties is the time, like if I want to be a healthy middle-aged and then into being a senior person, as my life goes on, I'm not going to like all of a sudden get fit in my fifties and sixties, most likely if I'm not already creating that for myself now. So I think in my twenties, it was really easy. I just led a really active lifestyle when not having kids. I was just out doing stuff all of the time. Now I have to be a little more intentional about creating an active lifestyle and creating health for myself. And I do want to do that. I want to do that now so that I can be healthy in my forties and my fifties and my sixties and my seventies and my eighties, but I'm not going to be a fit 70 year old if I can't be a fit 30 year old either. (laughs) So I don't know, maybe I need to spend some time thinking about like how to complete that area and then create goals that might be more in line with where I'm at as I work through my insecurities and my like trauma of like the life that has happened in between where I last was and where I am now. And this is so awesome, Kendra, because you just literally dead on highlighted the process and you actually were, and this is the part where I'm going to say it a thousand times, you got to slow down and actually take apart what you just said, because you just did about 80% of the work in those last three minutes. You acknowledged what you have done. You acknowledge what it's been like for you in the past, how it came naturally and easily, and it was just built into your life. You acknowledge the things that you actually have accomplished, and then you can see the gap and some of the things where you you didn't. You even acknowledge some of the experiences of feeling intimidated and not you know, confident or or like in your own element when you go to the gym and and there's all these pieces. And it's like if we just say it and we kind of like, eh, blah, 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 blah. OK, well, I know I need to create a goal. We don't. We just don't because we haven't actually completed those things that are incomplete for us. So you've already highlighted a couple, which is like the changes to your lifestyle you know, the physical changes in your body and noticing that piece. And I am somebody who in the past have, you know, and I still create myself this way, but my actions are not consistent of like, I've been an athlete. I think of myself as an athlete and I've actually chosen to hold on to that identity because it empowers me. And when I actually think about getting back into fitness, it's like, well, yeah, I've got all of this athletic skill set to fall back on that's natural, that's there for me. But what's actually really worked about my goal last year of walking a thousand miles is I didn't say I'm going to get in the gym and I'm going to do, I did something that was like very accessible. It was very present for me. I have a golden retriever who wants to go out every single day. And so it fulfilled on something else that really matters to me and keeping him healthy and happy. It got me outside, which I really needed to build into my life is like for, you know, I work from home. It's very easy for me to end up, you know, just not leaving the house for a couple of days if I don't have errands to run. And so this kept me going outside. So it like 
fulfilled on multiple intentions that I had all in one thing, which is another way we can, you know, they call it goal stacking, where you start to look at when you get to the point of creation, when you've done enough completion that there isn't. And how do you know? You know, because there's an opening. You actually can feel, you can experience that blank canvas starting to show up. And sometimes the opening is like a crack in the sidewalk, but you know the sidewalk is cracking. And sometimes the opening is literally like a wide open freaking full space and you're just like, oh my God, anything is possible. I can do it all, right? And and there's, I mean, the Landmark Forum is a program designed to spend three and a half days completing your whole life up till then so that you have that kind of freedom and creation for whatever you want to do next and then give you the tools for it, right? So you could go take a seminar and, you know, there's workshops out there and there's, you know, and so there's like all these different places, but we can tell when the narrative still feels like reality, you've got some incompletion, right? Where it's like, no, it's true yeah. that I can't do this, right? And just telling yourself you can usually doesn't work. It just doesn't. So right. how do we start to move through that space? And and like you did, you started to do some of the process right there. And then, you know, if we picked it apart even more, like if you were a participant in my workshop, we might slow it down even more and have you start to share. Often there's emotional incompletion that's there for us. Heartbreak. We hate, hate, hate touching on heartbreak because it's painful. We don't want to go back to those wounds. Yeah. But oftentimes you know, and this is a whole other side of trauma work where they, you know, the body keeps the score, right? Is like the, the Bible on this, that book is, is on the whole world of your body is holding on to those emotional wounds. And, and, and it, some of it is just like the disappointment of I'm not who I thought I was, or I don't seem to physically represent you know, I'm yeah. 43, I'm noticing my body change and I keep having to look at like, 43 just isn't 33. And and it's not just about what I'm capable of. I'm capable of all kinds of things. But it's like, I don't even want to be living the same life I was at 33. So what's true for me now? But part of that is like emotionally clearing the gunk out to start to make some space for that. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I think, I mean, all heartbreak is tangible. And I think part of it, you know, is that is like, there's especially put so much pressure on women to like bounce back after having a baby. Right. And I really thought I would, like, I've always been like a relatively thin person for most of my life. And so I just like assumed that that's what would happen for me after I had my baby. And it wasn't right. And there is a piece of like, well, it's disappointing. It's not what I expected to happen, but bigger than that, I have like a really tangible, like specific <laughs> heartbreak, I think tied into my perspective on my body, which is that my, my relationship with my body changed when I had my miscarriage. And it has, I think, cause prior to that, there wasn't really anything. I, I feel lucky to say this, but there wasn't anything that I disliked about my body. And even though it's not about my physical body, I felt so angry with my body for, I don't know, not being able to carry the baby, which is not even necessarily the truth. A lot of times it just like, my midwife talked about like, there's a million things that have to go right for an embryo to be viable. Right. And so it's more likely that my body was doing exactly what it needed to do because it knew that would not have worked out for either of us. But sometimes it's hard to see it that way. Sometimes it's hard. It's just like, why, you know, why couldn't, 
why couldn't we have done it? You know, it's, and so I think that going through the process of a miscarriage, I experienced a very visceral, like disappointment in my, in myself and in my body. And I feel like my, my whole relationship with my physical being like shifted at that point. And, you know, then really quickly that was kind of like roller coastered into, you know, it's like four months later, I think I got pregnant again, but in the months in between, I kept, I was trying to get pregnant. So there was disappointment about that too. And then I was pregnant and then it was this really big high because I was really so excited to be pregnant. I loved being pregnant against me. I feel very lucky about my pregnancy was easy. I felt awesome the whole time and then followed immediately by like disappointment that again, my body didn't do what I expected it to do. (laughs) So I think some of it is like learning to love my body more. And as we're having this conversation, I think it's interesting because I'm one realizing that maybe my goal this year should just be to get on the other side of completion with my relationship with my physical self. But you also mentioned like where we have open doors being a part where we are ready to create. And this is a little bit of a pivot, but I won't pivot too hard is like that. It's been clear for me that I'm in a space right now where I feel very inspired creatively. You know, I've been really leaning into painting again for the first time in a while. I've been really um, like being able to lean into my business as a designer, but especially the painting. And I think about like part of maybe why I was healthy in my, you know, a few years ago is like people don't think of painting as like exercise, but when you're doing large scale painting and you're squatting down to paint the bottom and you're standing up to paint the top for hours on end, like, I mean, that's, you are working out just more passively perhaps. Right. And maybe there's ways to get active that like, aren't necessarily, like you said, skipping the step of dealing with my insecurities and just jumping back to like, I, I could just get into the gym. I could just do it when it's like, maybe that's not maybe I'm not ready for that. Like maybe it is just using my body more this year in the ways that are open to me while I emotionally kind of work through whatever blockage I have so that I can lean into it more, you know, whenever I'm ready for that. But I think that there are ways, like you said, to meet myself where I'm at in some ways. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I'm not a big fan of saying that there's the right way to do anything. The question is, is it working? And and so then flip it on its head if it's not. And so what I just heard and what you were saying, and it's great because this is literally giving us an example of like, this is what happens when you engage in the inquiry and then open space starts to come up. Yep. <laughs> what would it be like to literally bring creativity to working out? Which means doing it in an outside of the box sort of a way. And right there is like, well, actually, there's a physicality to painting. And then I would go so far as to say the energetics is going to start to move things in your body that may even like, like I, if you were my client sitting in front of me, I'd say, don't even worry about working out. I just want you to paint. How much, how much are you willing to paint? How often are you willing to paint? And then a month later, after all that painting, there actually may, through that creative process, be more of an opening into this other area that seems unrelated and it's not it's like that whole how we do anything is how we do everything and it's like we don't have to necessarily go after something really specific we can find the crack in the sidewalk anywhere and then it'll open up more and more and that's literally exactly what this process does of starting to engage in the inquiry what's incomplete what's been in our way you know one of the questions i ask people is what is your biggest piece of unfinished business from the last year And it's like, 
The other thing we haven't talked about here, I just want to put in before we close, is there can be a certain preparation to doing this work that's really important, like allowing yourself to get into somewhat of a like meditative state or allow yourself to be open to more intuitive channeling. Because what I really feel like these questions allow for is a trusting intuitive conversation with your body, with your life, with your higher self, however you want to say that, where we're not thinking of the answers, we're sort of letting the answers transmit through us. And so the fact that like, that's why when I actually do the workshop, there's a lot of questions. And the idea isn't to spend 45 minutes on each question, it's to spend 45 seconds on each question to actually let things go pretty quickly. Like when I coach my clients through the work worksheet itself, I say, you don't have to answer every single question, but you might want to. And also, it's not about dwelling on the question. It's just sort of letting answers come through you and let yourself be surprised by what you see start to come out. Like you may realize you were talking about things you didn't even think of. That's great. That no, Then we're now starting to uncover some things. The subconscious is moving into the conscious. So this whole thing of starting out with like, oh, I just didn't, you know, what I did last year was I didn't you know, work out more and look at this whole conversation we're having about it. And so whatever that looks like of, <clears throat> you know, for me, I almost always do the completion side about between Christmas and New Year's, maybe even the first year, first week of the year. And then I put the whole document down and I walk away from it for like at least a week because I just let the completion part marinate. I just put it all there. And, the you know, the way the questions unfold what were your breakthroughs? What was your biggest triumph this last year? What decision did you make this past year that you're most proud of? What was the greatest lesson that you learned? What was the biggest risk that you took last year? You know, what was your biggest surprise? Like there's all these different questions. Who do you want to acknowledge? Who did you have the greatest impact on? Who had the greatest impact on you? What is there to say to yourself about this last year that you haven't yet? And then the last question, which is like the most important is what else do you need to say to be complete with this past year? Because you've already answered all these questions. You've already said all these things. And when you get to that question, often there's like one or two things and sometimes nothing. Sometimes you're like, no, that's it. And then there you are realizing you actually did it. You actually completed it. Like there's nothing more to say. The The, the bucket is empty. And it's such an interesting space. And it's like, you know it when you're there. You can feel it. It's tangible. Like, when you get to that place, it's quiet. There is sort of this like hanging on the edge of a cliff, like what's going to happen next? Like that's great. That's how you know you're there and you can then start to get more into the authentic creation, which we've talked about. But if you really want to know about authentic creation, you got to do the workshop <laughs> because we're going to get yep. <laughs> way more into the depths of that. And and, you know, how do we shed some of this old inherited stuff about the way that we beat ourselves up over goals? That is not what I'm interested in at all. Or the way that we force ourselves to do things, not interested in that either. And what is, you know, we're going to get into like the power of intention and how living from intention can guide our lives in a really profound way. And then how do we combine intention with those specific measurable outcomes and, and where do we bridge between the two and, and you know, holding that lightly where the specific measurable outcomes don't become a whipping post for ourselves? And how do we then return back to our intention where we don't get caught up? You know, it's it's a dance between all of that. But this process is just so important to revisit. Like I 
for a long time, I did this quarterly in my business. Every quarter I would do, you know, completing last quarter and creating the next quarter. And what's also crazy is I would just take these documents and then put them in a folder and not look at them again for three months. And what's nuts is I would pull them out and look and go, holy crap, like, look how much of that I actually did fulfill on. Same thing with the annual ones. Like before this podcast, I actually opened up my completing 2022, creating 2023 document. And it's really cool to see I have not even read that document in a year and how many of the things I wrote last January I've really taken ground in actively been engaged in moving that forward. So there's something kind of magical about it. I actually call this a magic document where like when you write things down in it, it like goes to work Hogwarts style on it, even if you don't seemingly put a big structure in place to fulfill on it. I love that. And what a good thing to do, like you said, right at the turn of the year. I'm going to do it. Awesome. <laughs> I'm awesome. Do it. And I hope and more to come on the workshop and how too. we'll create yep. that and making the document available and there'll be some offers around it and, you know, yep. connecting it into people's health and well-being. But it's like, you know, our health really is about our whole life. And for mm-hmm. many people, that turning point in their relationship to their health is about not having their health be the the whole thing. Like many of my clients complain about God, I feel like this is the only thing I ever work on is my health. And there's a time in chronic illness where you kind of have to take that on and be willing to let it take over your life. But then there's a point where you got to get bigger than the disease. You got to get bigger than the circumstances and conditions. And, you know, I know my clients are really healing when they start talking about what they want to create next. I know we've done a lot of that initial work and their body's really shifting. And whether or not they'll ever have a time where they don't have autoimmune disease or they don't have mold toxicity or they don't have chronic fatigue. Like maybe you always have to be responsible for the fact that you have a tendency to fall into chronic fatigue, but what do you want to create your life to be such that it can empower your health? That's what we do. I love that. I think that'll be great. And for all of our listeners, they can know that they can this is a good time. It's a good time to plug your social and your website. You know, if you follow Sarah on Instagram at Sarah Marshall ND and on her website, sarahmarshallnd.com, you can sign up for emails there because that's how you'll get to be the first to know when the workshop launches. And you're not going to want to miss it going into the new year. It'll be a great time to complete and create what you have going on for yourself. Awesome. So this has been great, Sarah. Yeah. And another season complete. Yeah. The new one comes and then out we can in create February. Our next yep. season. <laughs> exactly. And it's already in the works. And it's going to be awesome as always. And until we get to do it again. Wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you to my podcast producer and editor, Kendra Sanchez, for joining me today in a great conversation. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next season.